This podcast may contain themes that are unsuitable for some listeners. Please check the episode description for content warnings. A Court of Thorns and Roses, Chapter 11. I didn't give myself a chance to panic, to doubt, to do anything but wish I had stolen some food from my breakfast table, as I layered on tunic after tunic and bundled myself in a cloak, stuffing the knife I'd stolen into my boot. The extra clothes in my satchel would just be a burden to carry. I'm Katie. And I'm Ruth. And welcome to A Court of Thoughts and Proses. So this chapter's theme was chosen by the lovely Katie, and we are doing loneliness. We are, yes. So, as I've said a couple of times, I live with my mum and dad, and they were away a few weekends ago. And I decided to stay in the house to look after the cats, and I had work that I needed to do, and I wasn't feeling very well either, so I didn't really want to, to go away. So I stayed in the house by myself with the four cats, and I thought it was going to be really lonely. I've never lived alone. I've always lived with housemates or with family. And I figured that I would get really lonely and really sad and that I'd get really bored by myself, especially because I'm working uh, remotely. So I really wasn't seeing anybody all day. But I actually really enjoyed it. I was setting my own schedule all the time. I was deciding what I wanted to eat for dinner and getting hyped about it and then cooking it and then getting to eat it. If I tidied the kitchen, the kitchen stayed tidy. If I left the kitchen in a mess, the kitchen stayed in a mess. There was just something about having so much control over all these different aspects of my life, which I do have. I have lots of control over my life, but complete control. And then even silly things like I was doing chores, you know, I was looking after the cats and feeding the chickens and doing washing up and whatever. It made me feel very grown up. It made me feel very adult. But it was for about five days. <laughs> and I think that if that had continued week on week on week, especially working remotely, not seeing anybody, especially with COVID, not being able to socialize, I think I would have gotten lonely because I am, I do like being around people. So the difference that I want to look at in this chapter is the difference between loneliness and being alone, but being okay with it. Because I think those are different things. I think you can be alone, like I was in the house by myself, and I was happy and I was fine and I was very content with my own company. And then there is being lonely where you feel sad and, and unhappy by yourself. So I would like to look at that this week. I think this is a fabulous theme because I'm sure many of our listeners have noticed that specific difference, especially during the past year or two with COVID and everybody's become a lot more acutely aware of time they spend with people. Mm. So this is going to be a very nice reflection. Yeah. I mean, and even just the importance of human touch. I think a lot of people have found that in the last year that, I mean, I'm a very touchy feely person. I adore hugs, but even for people that aren't, they've been like, Oh my God, let me hold another human being. I miss handshakes. <laughs> All right, well, it's your turn to do the 30-second recap, Ruth. You ready to go? Yes, please. Three, two, one, go. So the chapter begins with Feyre seeing uh, what she thinks is her father out the window. And she's like, Father, you've come to collect me. And then she yeets herself out the window and she runs. But then Tamlin stops her and is like, no, that's not your father. And then she looks back and it's actually a pile of arrows. And then it keeps changing until she realizes it's some mythical beast. And the beast runs away. And then Tamlin's basically spending the entire time going out and hunting the bog, the boggy, the boggagagagag. Um, so she barely sees him. So she spends a little bit of time with Lucian. And she's basically starting to accept the fact in this chapter that her family are okay and settled. 
Wow. You covered everything. I think that's your best recap so far. Uh, that's because I made sure to reread my notes. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I'm tired of being the scatterbrained one, so... Okay, do I have anything to add? I'm sure you'll pick up some luscious detail for us. Oh god, okay. Okay, right, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, Katie's turn in three, two, one, go. So when Feyre has her conversation with Tamlin, she starts to find out a bit more about him. She finds out that he wasn't supposed to run these lands. She still doesn't know he's the High Lord, but he was like not first in line. Um, and he, she finds out that he's really, really powerful. He is the only one powerful enough to haunt the bogger, Boggy. And so he's got really like obsessed with it. And Lucian won't like he won't let Lucian help. And Feyre starts to reflect on the fact that she killed Andras and she's kind of haunted by his death and that she murdered him. Nice. I feel like we covered everything there. We really did. We we got everything. Okay. Is he? Does she know he's the High Lord? Just to check that fact. No, because when um when she catches the serial, the serial's like, ah, oh, the High Lord. And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, you didn't guess, idiot. See, I always have to check my facts with Katie. I always forget <laughs> things and she's like, no, no. So... <laughs> Lord praise Katie's memory. <laughs> to be fair, I have read this book, this book series. Like, I read it at least yearly, if not six monthly. So, yeah, it would be bad if I couldn't remember the details. <laughs> I love that, though, because it is like a religious passage, a religious book for you, because yeah. you regularly reread it. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's how the podcast came about, as I was like, well, I'm reading it every six months, might as well read it with Ruth and make a podcast out of it. <laughs> Yes. So, Katie, where do you see loneliness in this chapter this week? So, Tamlin, we find out, is a very powerful fairy. I think we kind of already knew that, but he's mega powerful. He is the only one that can hunt the bogger, even though Boggy, whatever, even though Lucian was like, oh, it can't be killed, but Tamlin can kill it. So he's immensely powerful. And he even says, you know, Feyre's like, where are the sentries? Where are the guards around this place? And he goes, ah, we don't need sentries if I'm around because I'm that powerful. But Tamlin is alone in his power. Lucian is around and that's pretty much it. He doesn't have a court. He doesn't have, doesn't seem to have that many friends. Obviously, he doesn't have family around. And we find out later it's because they've been killed. And he is immensely powerful but it doesn't sit well with him he is isolated by his power rather than it being a fun or useful or like you know exciting thing for him to have it seems to be more of a curse than a benefit to him i love that because that makes me think of reese and the fact that he has his kind of powerful friends around him yeah obviously with reese being part what is he with the the wingy the wingy boys illyrian because he's part illyrian he obviously shares those powers with asriel and kaz Cass? Cass? Oh my god, what Cass, they Cassian, yeah. So he shares that with them, and I feel like that gives him his bond, and obviously he's got all his like powerful mates around him, but Tamlin is completely alone, and I had not picked up on this when I was reading this chapter, yeah. so I absolutely love this point. And I think, you know, we are trying to, or I'm trying to at least, give Tamlin a bit of a fair, fair shot, give him a little bit of sympathy. It can't be a lot of fun to have this much power, and for people to fear you, and I mean, like, Feyre's been afraid of him from the start of this book and he especially doesn't seem to have that good of a control grasp of control on his powers you know his his claws beneath his knuckles 
often seem like they're going to come out Wolverine style mm. without him meaning to. And I wonder if Tamlin has deliberately isolated himself from, from everyone. Obviously, we know he's lost his family, but he doesn't seem to have made that many friends. And I wonder if, if he's deliberately isolated himself because he's afraid of hurting someone. You know, if he loses control with his claws, you know, is he, is he accidentally going to hurt his friends? And again, later in the books, I think book two, we will see him lose control and, and hurt Feyre. That reminds me of Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, I've not seen that. So it's in this chapter where it talks, where Lucian says that Tamlin has gone into one of his moods where he prefers being alone when he's hunting the boggy. And we see in Howl's Moving Castle near the start of the movie, Howl basically, he dyes his hair the wrong colour and has a strop, as only a magical boy can. <laughs> and it's Howl's like a similar character where he's like, he's isolated, he doesn't have much family, but he has a lot of power. Mm. And we obviously learn about how through this relationship with Sophie, who's the other main protagonist, and it's obviously a romance. And how also has a magical power where he shapeshifts and he turns into this bird kind of creature that he can't keep control of and it gets in between their relationship. Mm. And both the characters have this same loneliness because they don't have those family connections. Their power isolates them. So very similar. Yeah. I forgot, actually, when Lucian and Feyre are talking about Tamlin and saying, you know, he's got into a mood. Lucian says he prefers being alone. And, you know, if if someone disobeyed him and tried to help him hunt the boggy, he would he would like attack them for trying to help. And Feyre like, mm. well, that's weird. Like, why would he tr- why would he hurt them if they were trying to help him? And Lucian says it's specifically a fairy thing that because you're immortal, you can't which is really sad you can't be everyone's friend for eternity because they get bored so you have to like you have to be really firm and you have to like tell people what's what which i mean i disagree with as a like it sounds like you know if you have eternity you need a dictatorship don't super agree with that lucian but yeah we're too powerful and too bored with immortality to be checked by anything else and that just seems like a sad way to have a society of like you have to hurt each other or like be very cruel to each other in order to keep control rather than trust or like like long-term relationships which i think reese has is that not lucian's view of it though because obviously he's grown up with particularly nasty parents Mm. and not great relationships and i feel like power is a very big thing in his line of in his familial line yes yeah i think you're right i think the autumn high lord runs runs that way you know power firm hand that kind of thing and so he thinks that that's that's the norm whereas he's not seen reese and his method of ruling so he doesn't know that that's an option it makes this particular section of the book that you're talking about Mm. where they talk about how cold and lonely it is when you're immortal reminds me of how awful the curse is because amarantha has literally been like, I know what will mess him up the most, make him fall in love with someone who is human, who will die. Obviously, he doesn't know that Pharaoh could become a high fae. Yeah. Particularly horrific to make him fall in love with someone who isn't going to last for like, you know, a year of your lifetime, I'm guessing. I don't know if they ever die fairies, but... So even if he manages to break the curse and fall in love with Pharaoh and they have her long life together... And that's a blip for the fairies you know it's 50 years and then she'll be dead it just really hit me how cruel 
it was. Mm. And even and that's the best case scenario. You know, the worst case scenario <laughs> yeah. is he doesn't like he falls in love with her and she doesn't return his his love. Yeah, immortality is an odd thing. I mean, it, like it often comes up in fantasy books, but or even sci-fi. You know, like download my consciousness into a robot. I mm. wouldn't want it. Like I think what makes you human is knowing that it ends and knowing that you only get one shot and you better not waste it and you better make some you know do some good in the world where did you see loneliness i wanted to talk about feyre kind of realizing that she is alone in this chapter Mm. and hear me out because this is a bit weird so in this chapter Feyre listens to Tamlin and Tamlin kind of says I am looking after your family and she kind of clocks that fairies can't lie and finally accepts the fact that she's completed her promise to her mother Hmm. and she has that realization moment where she's like oh the weight of the promise is gone what do I do now and she definitely seems to feel that there is a void within her I think that void is filled by the kind of loneliness that she has in her life because her goal and surviving It was the only thing she had. Mm. So particularly, I think that because she was in that survival mode, she obviously didn't have time to make friends with the villagers like Nestor and Elaine did. She didn't really have time to look for love. Obviously, she fancied Isaac and all that kind of stuff. But now she's here, she's really realizing how separated she is because all she had was those familial relationships that are now, in her eyes, not unneeded, but, you know, resolved in a way. Well, yeah, because she thinks she can never go back. So she thinks she thinks she's completely split from her family forever. So for me, this chapter is a lot of Feyre kind of realising, oh God, what do I do with my life now? And the kind of loneliness that comes with it. Yeah. For obviously, I feel like we can relate to it because we graduated within the past couple of years and it's that joining society and going, oh my God, what do I do now? Everybody has families, everybody settled into their life or whatever and you just kind of don't know what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a split even, so Feyre doesn't really have friends, but I saw a split even between Feyre and her family because it often seemed like she was separate from the sisters and separate from her father. So like when the, the pucker, puka, the pucker, the, the fairy that's trying to entice Feyre out of the house and it can turn into different things that she wants. So it turns into her dad to entice her out of the house and then it turns into her sisters huddled together weeping. And when she was in the cottage with them, they were often like a duo and she, and she really seemed like she was separate. She often seemed like she was the odd one out. And she talks about the paintings that she made inside the cottage and how she thinks that her family are going to forget that she even painted them, that like they will just they will just forget her. And I don't know whether she's just feeling sorry for herself or whether she genuinely thinks that her family care for her so little that as soon as she stops providing food for them, as soon as that need is met, they're like, oh, you remember that sister we used to have? Oh, yeah, don't need her anymore. She thinks, yeah, she thinks she's alone in the world and she's not. What I thought was interesting with the with the pucker that turns into her dad, as soon as she realises it's not her dad, she goes, oh, of course it isn't. How would he get here? He's crippled. He would never walk through the forest for two days to find me. You know, he, he just wouldn't. But later on, we find who did try and do that, and it's Nestor. Nestor tries to find Feyre. She tries to break through the wall to get to Prithian. And yeah, so so 
Feyre thinks she's alone, but she her sister's still trying to look out for her and trying to rescue her. She can't because she can't get through the wall, but Nesta does at least try. I think the best part about that relationship is it proves to you that sometimes from where you least expect it, friendships can blossom because Nesta, obviously, before at the start of the book, is probably the most abusive of all the siblings towards her. Out of the two, you'd think, well, Elaine would miss her the most because she's the nicest, but it's Nesta who I feel like reaches out and forms that massive bond between the two sisters that we see in the later three books. In several places in this chapter, Feyre thinks she's alone and she's not. So she thinks she's alone in the house. She thinks the house is silent. There's no one outside. She's going to meet her father. He's actually this fairy. Later on, we find out that Tamlin has cast a glamour on all of the other fae of his court so that fairy doesn't get freaked out by how many fairies there are around. So what made me giggle was imagining Feyre sneaking out of the house, you know, sneaking across the gravel. And actually, there's all these fairy servants around being like, what is she doing? Is she going to get eaten by a pucker? She's going to get eaten by a pucker. What an idiot. But I don't know whether that's fair, because surely they would help her if they saw her sneaking out to get murdered by another fairy. But maybe they wouldn't, because they, maybe they'd be like, that girl killed Andras, you know, let her get eaten by a pucker in sort of retribution. But yeah, just it made me giggle to imagine her being like, I'm so sneaky. And actually there's a bunch of fairies <laughs> sitting in the garden on their like evening break being like, oh, idiot. Someone must have gone and got Tamlin. The two like people out in the garden must have been like, eh, it's your turn to go get it. No. And then he must have snuck in and like Lucian and um, Tamlin was sat there having a coffee. And then Tamlin must have been like, again? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, yeah, she's not alone because Tamlin's around the corner and stops her from, from running away and getting murdered by the pucker. Yeah. And again, she thinks she's alone in the spring court. But actually, she spends a lot of time with Lucian. She goes on on patrols with Lucian in the woods and she thinks she's completely alone, but there are people around her that she could start to bond with. And I think when you when you get yourself into that, I'm trying to remember what the studies were about loneliness, but often people find when they get into that sort of loneliness spiral, it becomes harder and harder to connect with people. And the one thing that you need is connection to get out of it. And it becomes harder and harder to do. Yeah. And so I'm glad that Feyre is able to break out of it fairly quickly and start to make bonds with, with Lucian and with Tamlin. But it is a, it is a hard thing to do. And I think we're going to see it this year as people start to socialise again, you know, getting used to being around people and getting used to making connections safely. Now, that was a point I actually wanted to pick up on, because I think we don't think about it, but Lucian is actually quite lonely. Mm. If you think about it, he's the only one from the Autumn Court. And of course, he is Tamlin's best friend, ride or die, you know, brother, whatever. Yeah. But he would be quite lonely because he looks completely different to everybody else. He's obviously very distinctive. I feel like Lucian's just experienced a lot of loneliness in his lifetime. Yeah, because his father, as we said, is very old. Spoilers, not his actual father, but the, the man who raised him, the, the Autumn High Lord, is very power hungry. His brothers are fairly obnoxious as well, so he doesn't have strong bonds with them. And he has a, a female lover who gets killed. Yeah, he all of his points of connection get cut off and he's only only really got Tamlin. So we find out that Tamlin's lost his family and that obviously Lucian is kind of his replacement. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's why the two bond so well, because they both cut off on their families. They're both so lonely and 
they're the only thing that they have for each other. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, I mean, we keep coming back to this comparison with Reese. I think it's too small of a pool. You know, if you've only got two of you and there's such a power imbalance between Tamlin and, and Lucian, Lucian won't stand up to him. Lucian won't say, mm, I think you're wrong about that, Tamlin. Whereas Reese encourages his his group to to challenge him and to tell him when he's wrong. And so I think they need a couple more, you know, they need they need Feyre and maybe another two people to have a better a better group that can can help each other. I'm going to disagree with you there because mm-hmm. I feel like Lucian is actually quite sassy. Mm. Now, I understand that he probably doesn't stand up to Tamlin when he's having his moods and he just kind of leaves him be. But I feel like as we see him interact with Feyre, he's not going to be trampled on. He's not going to take being trampled on. And obviously, they clearly had Andras and the other sentries as part of this little group. The little groups just slowly dwindled. Mm. So I wonder if, naturally, over time, they would rekindle a kind of little group and it would be okay. I feel like what we're seeing is a result of the slow isolation of the two of them. And while the relationship seems kind of unhealthy, I feel like it's the best that they could do. Oh, absolutely. I mean... No one's going to move to the spring court as they're under a curse. Like, why would you? <laughs> on holiday! <laughs> on holiday! But no, I, I think you're right. I think Lucian is definitely very sassy with, with Feyre. But I just think he's not... He doesn't quite have that relationship as much as he could with Tamlin. Because when Lucian criticises him, you know, Tamlin will growl at him and his, you know, his claws will start to come out. Or later on in the second book, when trying to get Tanlin to let Feyre out of the house and to let her have more freedom and things, Tanlin absolutely shuts that down and he and he won't take that as a suggestion at all. Did you have anything else for loneliness? So another comparison and another thought is the fact that Tamlin is alone in this big, big house. Mm. And obviously he's naturally feeling loneliness anyway and we can't see the fairies in the background, but obviously but what it looks like to Feyre is that Tamlin is living alone with one guy in this massive manner. It's yeah. got to look a little bit suspicious, don't you think? You'd be like, mm, two bros <laughs> alone in a manor. <laughs> two bros chilling in a hot tub. Yeah, just them and servants. And you always see in like Regency films and all that kind of stuff, I feel like the lone widower who's like alone in this big old mansion with all their wealth, but no family or friends surrounding them. Yeah. So the visual image of Tamlin just alone, even in this massive manor house. Yeah. Makes me giggle. So shall we move on to our new spiritual practice? Let's go. Sacred imagination. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do sacred imagination, which is basically reading through a portion of the text and closing our eyes, if safe to do so. Please don't if you're driving. Uh, closing your eyes and trying to put yourself into the scene and really trying to notice, you know, your senses. What do you smell? What do you touch? Which character are you? Are you a fly on the wall or are you in one of the characters' positions? This might be slightly challenging for Ruth. Ruth, do you want to explain why? (laughs) So I have aphantasia, which if you don't know what it is, it's when you literally can't imagine anything in your mind's eye. So you ask me to close my eyes and picture a ladybird. I can't see anything. I can see blackness. Maybe a red circle if I try really, really hard. We're going to see if this will work. Ruth, I'm going to try and encourage you to not focus on sight, but focus on sounds and other senses or maybe feelings. You know, do you get a certain wave of emotion from from listening to this rather than trying to like focus and put yourself in the in the place physically, if that makes sense? 
Sounds good. Okay. So we're going to give it a go. This section that I'm reading from is quite graphic. So it's from a dream that Feyre is having. So if you don't want to listen to it, just skip ahead a minute or two until we get to our discussion. The snow was falling, thick and merciless, already up to my knees as I pulled the bowstring back, farther and farther until my arm trembled. Behind me, a shadow lurked, no, watched. I didn't dare turn to look at it, to see who might be within that shadow, observing, not as the wolf stared at me across the clearing, just staring, as if waiting, as if daring me to fire the ash arrow. No, no, I didn't want to do it, not this time, not again, not... But I had no control over my fingers, absolutely none, and he was still staring as I fired. One shot, one shot straight through that golden eye. A plume of blood splattering the snow, a thud of a heavy body, a sigh of wind. No, it wasn't a wolf that hit the snow. No, it was a man, tall and well-formed. No, not a man, a high fay with those pointed ears. I blinked, and then, then my hands were warm and sticky with blood. Then his body was red and skinless, steaming in the cold, and it was his skin, his skin that I held in my hands, and... And then Feyre wakes up. So, Ruth, what was that like? What did you, what did, what did you think? Be right back, I'm going to go vomit, then I come back, that was horrific, never again. So, I started off from the perspective of Feyre, and the first thing that struck me was how cold it actually must have been. Mm when she was hunting in the forest and not being able to feel your limbs when it's like that cold and just how desperate and small she was, especially with the idea of this massive wolf and this big shadow behind her, Mm. just how small and fragile and human she was. Yeah. And vulnerable. Very vulnerable. The next thing that struck me was I moved to the perspective of Andras and just watching as this tiny little trembling thing shoots me in the face and the kind of I felt very emotional I felt very sad and Mm. it was horrific but also there was this kind of acceptance of just sitting and watching your fate Mm. the whole bit with the skinning though that was just too much I felt like I was in Attack on Titan it was very graphic (laughs) so I had a very exciting realization now you're gonna say that i see reese everywhere we go but oh no here we go i think he's actually in this because a shadow lurked no watched i didn't see who might be within that shadow i originally when i read this thought or the first couple of times i thought this was amarantha watching her dreams but in the second book we find that that reese reese was watching her dreams when she moved into prithian because they're because they're mates so yeah, I think like I think this is Reese watching watching this moment, but she but she can't see him yet. It's interesting because when I was imagining it, the shadow was very intimidating and very scary. Mm. But if you think about it as Reese watching it, he's probably wondering what the hell is going on. <laughs> mm. And she kind of, I guess, in her dreams, actually has someone on her side. Not that she realizes it yet. And then my other thought as we were reading was just that, you know, that see, that that moment where she realises who she actually skinned, that she realises that it was a humanoid, not a, an animal, and just how horrific that realisation must be. You know, I don't think Feyre ever gets comfortable with, with murder, with death. 
she talks about later that when she first started to hunt and kill animals, kill rabbits, she wasn't she didn't want to do that, that it that it upset her. And I think it's good that she doesn't lose that sense of of right and like not right and wrong, but that she knows that life is precious and that what she has done is is wrong. And she does try and start to make amends for that. It's interesting because when I was imagining it, what really struck me was the feelings of disgust. Mm. First at being covered in blood and then seeing this human body that I've just skinned and then the disgust at yourself. Mm. And I wonder if that's something that Feyre ever gets over. Yeah. And we know in the second book that that the deaths that she commits and the, you know, the murders that she commits in this one they really they weigh on her very heavily you know they they cause her to go into a complete spiral i mean i obviously i'm not a mental health professional but it does seem like ptsd in the second book it she it she really has a very hard time letting go of them i would agree and i think it's nice that we get to go on that journey with her mm. and see where it all begins and the fact that such significant things aren't just dismissed straight away is quite important Mm, absolutely shall we move on to blessings let's bless some people please who are you feeling like blessing this week oh okay i can finally bless tamlin he's finally done something good (laughs) okay so i'm gonna bless tamlin because after he stops her from getting eaten by the pucker he finally finally gets some semblance of consent and says what do you want pharah and it is the first time that he has asked this question, whether food or life things, or it's the first time he's asked. And I, you know, I, I like to think that he's been listening and he's been listening to us criticize his uh, unconsensual behavior. And I'm just really glad that he's, that he's paying attention to how important consent is. And, you know, Feyre says, I want to go home. That is what she wants. And Tamlin can't give her that because he needs her to stay in the spring court. But, at least he asks. It's good. It's progress. So yeah, I would like to bless people who, you know, maybe don't have a lot of knowledge about consent when they're younger, um, because it doesn't get taught in schools for some reason, and are educating themselves about consent. And my favourite phrase is, consent is not the absence of a no, it is a continuous and enthusiastic yes. And we are definitely not at that point with Tamlin and Feyre at least he's starting it i'd like to take the thought of consent over to my blessing as well okay because i want to bless andras and for his sacrifice because i feel like in this chapter we really see the fact that he is a human obviously when pharaoh murders him he's in wolf form so we don't really think about it but we're starting to process it now through pharaoh's eyes and it makes me realize that hopefully all the sentries and everybody who went away had this conversation with Tamlin and consented to literally being murdered yeah. for the sake of their kingdom. And it makes me want to bless everybody who sacrifices so much of their self for the good of humanity, the people that work so hard and are just trying to make everywhere a better place to the detriment of maybe their personal lives. We very much appreciate you. So this is a big thank you to all the key workers out there during the pandemic, everybody who had to work such long hours. Thank you so much because we all appreciate it. Mm, That's a lovely blessing. Thank you for listening to A Court of Thoughts and Proses. 
please subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed this episode. This episode was produced by both of us and edited by me. You can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook and Instagram at Akatap Podcast, A-C-O-T-A-P. Thank you, as always, to the Harry Potter and Sacred Text Podcast who let us borrow their ideas. Bye, everyone. Bye. I think that worked worked quite well. Your turn next time, I think. (laughs) My turn to what? To, To imagine yourself shooting someone in the face. I was imagining it. It means you have to read if you do it. That's fine. (laughs) You hate reading aloud. I also hate imagining things. I can't do either. (laughs) (laughs) It's the perfect practice for you. Hey. Hey.